You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Her Money is supported by Fidelity Investments. Together, we're here to empower, educate, and encourage women to start talking about money. Discover more at fidelity.com slash it's time. Her Money comes to you through PRX. Hi, it's Jean Chatsky, and if I sound like I've got a great big smile on my face, it's because I've got a great big smile on my face. Such a fun morning. My entire team, and by that I mean me and Kelly and Hayden, uh, we went over to the NASDAQ this morning, and I was able to help ring the opening bell with the folks from The Balance, which is a new personal finance site that I am part of. It's from the folks at about.com, and I hope that you'll all check it out. I don't know what was more thrilling, actually pressing the button, or then going outside and seeing pictures of myself and the folks from The Balance pressing the button projected up on the seven-story NASDAQ tower. We've been putting photos online, and so if you want to look for them, you will have absolutely no trouble finding them. But it was it was a big, big thrill, and it made me remember I've only done that once before in my career The last time I was at the NASDAQ to help ring the opening bell was with Oprah and Dr. Oz and all of the radio hosts associated with the launch of Oprah and Friends on XM Radio many, many years ago. And so it just sort of seems appropriate that we went right from ringing the bell to the radio studio here at CDM where we produce her money to kick off today's show. And so if any of you ever get the chance to ring the opening bell, whether it's at NASDAQ or the New York Stock Exchange, I would highly recommend it. Kelly said it was one of her favorite things that she's done since moving to New York. It felt like a very New York moment. It is a chock-full day as so many of our days have been chock full lately. I guess that's just part of the end of summer, transitioning into the beginning of fall, back to school. It just feels like there are fewer hours in in each and every 24-hour period. And yet, there are some people who just make it look easy make squeezing all of that activity into a 24-hour period easier than other people. And we've got one of them on the show today. Laura Vanderkam is with me. She is calling in from her home outside of Philadelphia. Laura is a time management expert. She's written books like I Know How She Does It, What the Most Successful People Do Before Breakfast, and 168 Hours, which for those of you who don't know is the number of hours in a week. She's an expert on productivity, and she's here to make us all a little more productive. Hi, Laura. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. And thank you to one of our listeners, Rissa Redden. She actually wrote us and suggested that we have you on as a guest. And Gretchen Rubin, our very first guest, said the same thing. So, Laura Vanderkam, welcome to the show. 
Oh, that's so fun. Thanks to Rissa and to Gretchen. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So how did you get good at this? What made you a productive person? Is this just something that you were born with? I've always been into managing time and productivity. I would say, though, that I, I'm not perfect at it by any means. I have been late to various things, which is always a little embarrassing when they're introducing you as the productivity expert and you're late. I've even been late to my own speech on time management once. That was <laughs> a wonderful experience for all involved. Uh, but it more, makes me feel better, actually, about yeah. the fact that I've made mistakes with my money. I'm just saying. <laughs> then you totally get it. Yes, everyone expects you to be perfect about it. I'm sure if you're trying to figure out the tip at a, a, a restaurant, everyone's like looking at Jean. Let's make sure she mm-hmm. knows it. Um, no, I think I got into this topic in particular when I had my first child a little over nine years ago. And and people who've been through that transition know that you're suddenly accountable for your time in a way that you hadn't necessarily been before. Uh, and so I was trying to figure out how to make the pieces of work and life fit together, make sure I was spending enough time with my kid, but also devoting enough time to work to get ahead with that, making sure I got enough sleep, took care of myself. And it seemed like an awful lot to be fitting into a day or even a week. So I wanted to start studying, well, what do people who seem to have it all do with their time? Because the truth is that they don't have any more time than the rest of us. We all have the exact same 24 hours in a day, 168 hours in a week. So when you find people who are really crushing it at work, who have a great family or personal life, they don't have more time. So I want to know what they're doing differently. And so that's what I've made my career of studying. It's so interesting that you... um you tie it back to having your first child because when I had my son and he's now 22 years old, I remember going back to work and all of a sudden being more efficient. And I didn't think I was doing anything differently necessarily, but I was definitely getting it done faster. And I just attributed that to wanting to get home more. I think that's entirely true. And Especially when I'm working with people who are trying to figure out how to be more focused at work and particularly entrepreneurs who could be working at any hour, any day. Uh, what one of the first things I often tell them is to create a personal life that's so exciting that you want to stop working, that you want to get home, you want to do things. Um, because it's funny if you are coaching that basketball team on Tuesday nights at seven, one way or the other, you'll get out of the office to get there. But if you don't have that, then you won't. Uh, And so it's about figuring out what makes life so exciting that you are willing to be more efficient. There's no point being efficient just to be efficient. It's because you have other things that you want to do as well. So once you've figured out what those driving forces are for you, how do you take your 168 hours and break them up in a way so that you are using them more effectively? Well, I think the first step to spending your time better is figuring out how you are spending it now. And many of us have ideas about where the time goes, but those ideas may or may not be accurate. When it comes to time, we have all kinds of stories we tell ourselves, and and many of those stories are not necessarily the whole truth. So, Keep track of your time for a day or two, ideally for an entire week to see where the time goes. And then you can look at it honestly and say, well, what am I spending the right amount of time on? What do I want to spend more time on? 
And what do I want to spend less time on? And just knowing that can help you make a lot of really positive changes. Okay, I want to just take that entire paragraph that you just said and rub out the word time and substitute the word money, and it's the exact same formula. People don't know where their money goes, and then when they bother to track it, that's when the puzzle becomes more clear. Do you think we don't want to know in some cases? Is that why many of us don't track? Exactly. And and you talk about money, you could put the word food in there as well, (laughs) because it's the exact (laughs) same thing. Many of us just don't want to know. And I suggest people try keeping track of their time. And they're like, oh, that's an interesting idea. And then they go away. Uh, And I think it is basically that it's just like food. You don't want to know that you grab six chocolate macaroons from the kitchen next to your home office over the course of the day, which is, of course, a purely hypothetical example that I've never done myself. (laughs) Purely hypothetical. Uh, It's the same thing. We don't want to know how much time we are wasting. And so I tell people, okay, let's let that be. Everyone wastes time. I waste time. I mean, maybe you don't waste time, Jean, but most people waste time. No, I do. I waste time. (laughs) Most people waste time. It's really not about figuring out how much time we waste. I mean, that may be interesting to know, but it's more about making sure that these stories are accurate, right? And people tell themselves all kinds of stories like, I have a big job, therefore I never see my family, right? I hear that from people all the time, like, oh, I just don't see my family because I'm working all the time. Okay, well, let's keep track of your time for a week. And then we find out, well, yeah, there are some long days in the office, but maybe you were at the office late three nights during the week. Well, two nights you were home at a perfectly reasonable time. And then you were there on the weekends too. And maybe it's not as much time as you want, but that's certainly not zero time. So let's not make sure we're not telling the zero time story when the story is more that like, oh, well, I spend a reasonable amount of time. I would like to spend a little bit more time because that's something we can work with. How does technology play into all of this? And, you know, as you're talking about the stories that we tell ourselves, I've been thinking that it's time to delete the games from my phone because I do spend more time than I want to admit playing Candy Crush or Words with Friends or um, sometimes the one that I forget the name of it, but it looks like Boggle. And it, it's I enjoy it. I mean, that's the embarrassing thing. I actually enjoy it, but I do often feel like I should just get rid of these things. I think that's up to you in the same way it is with money. I mean, people spend money on things that may sound silly to other people, but if it's something that makes you wonderfully happy, you enjoy, then that's probably a good use of your cash. The question is, is it keeping you from other things that you want to do, like truly want to do, um, is it a positive or negative in your life at the level that you're doing it now? And, you know, if if the other thing you'd be doing is just deleting emails on your phone, you know, newsletters you can't remember subscribing to, I wouldn't say that that's any more productive to do with your time than playing Candy Crush. So maybe play Candy Crush in those, you know, four-minute spurts while you're waiting for a phone call to start. But if it is something that's taking more time than you want, then obviously you can make it harder for yourself to play those games. You can take them off the phone, so you have to choose to put it on again if you want to do it. But it's also about figuring out, well, what else would be compelling for me to do with that time? And maybe it's there's people you want to talk to. So you call those people when you have short bits of time. Or maybe it's that you want to read interesting articles, or maybe it's that you want to go take a quick walk, or figure out whatever it is that would be as compelling to you and see if you can start spending bits of time on that instead. 
So I think I interrupted your prescription with my Candy Crush example. But if we're tracking, we're figuring out where our time is going, how do we then reprioritize so that we get more out of our 24-hour day? I think the important thing to remember is that time is actually kind of elastic and it will expand. We can't make more time, but it will stretch to accommodate what we choose to put into it. And the story I always like to use to tell people about this is a time log I saw from a very busy woman who was recording her week, two young kids. She's out for a Wednesday night for something, comes home and finds that her water heater has broken as there's now water all over her basement. Huge mess. She's dealing with it that night. Next day, she's got plumbers coming in to deal with it. Next day, professional cleaning crew to deal with the ruined carpet. All this is being recorded on her time log and winds up taking seven hours of her week. Now, that's like finding an extra hour in the day, right, over the course of a week. I'm sure, though, if you had asked her at the start of the week, like, oh, could you find seven hours to train for a triathlon? Or could you find seven hours to mentor these seven people? I'm sure she would have been like, um, no. I'm so busy. I can't do this. But when she had to find seven hours, she found seven hours. And so the real key to time management is treating what is important to us as the equivalent of that broken water heater, right? That we're going to get to it first. Everything else will take less time if we put the important stuff in first. And if you know what those things are for you, then you can consciously choose to make time for them and trust that everything else will fill in around the edges. Are you a list maker? Do you accomplish these priorities by having them on a list? I'm a list maker. Uh, I know some people are more so than others. I find I don't like to make really long lists because long lists are just intimidating. Like I won't get to everything on it and then it's just a sort of stress, a source of stress rather than accomplishment. So I like to make very limited lists. Um, but one thing I choose to do is on Friday afternoons, I make a short priority list for the next week. And I make it in three categories. I make career, relationships, and self. And by using a three-category list, I know that I will put at least something in all three categories, whereas if you don't do it that way, it probably gets kind of overloaded on the professional stuff. But just make you know a list of like top three items in each and then look over the whole of the next 168 hours and see where these important things can go and how I can start treating them as the equivalent of that broken water heater. We're talking with Laura Vanderkam. Um, as we come back, I want to talk about some productivity-related headlines that I've seen recently. But first, let me just take a sec to tell everybody that Her Money is brought to you by Fidelity Investments. And Fidelity is focused on helping women like us take charge of our financial lives. And a big part of that is taking control of the time in our day. So visit fidelity.com slash it's time. You'll find more conversations like this one with Laura Vanderkam. You'll also find our conversation with Joanna Coles, who I'm just giving a shout out to because she just received a big promotion. She was named the first chief content officer at the Hearst Corporation. So congratulations to Joanna on that. And if you missed that episode, you can go back and, and take a listen. You'll also find information about how to manage your money during life's biggest events and most challenging times, whether you're getting married, getting divorced, starting a new career. Again, that's fidelity.com slash it's time. So 
Laura, a couple of productivity-related headlines have caught my eye recently. One in the Wall Street Journal said that 4 a.m. is, in fact, the most productive hour of the day. And I can kind of relate to that. I don't know if I've ever told this story on my podcast before, but I grew up with a mom who went back to school to get her master's degree when I was in middle school. And she did it by getting up to study before anybody else in the house was awake. So she would routinely wake up at 5 a.m. to study because the rest of us were not getting up until 7. And so when I wrote my first couple of books, I took from that model. I, I woke up a couple of hours before anyone in my house was awake, and that's how I wrote my books. I just got them done before anybody in the house was up and moving around, and by the way, before any emails came in, which was really important. Well, what do you think about these early morning hours? Do they work for everyone? They can work. Uh, I have mixed feelings about the 4 a.m. prescription idea. I mean, 4 a.m. sounds awfully early to me. 5 a.m. is probably good. For many people, it could be 6 a.m. And honestly, if you're a college student and all your friends are getting up at like 9, 30, 10, Consciously getting up at 7.30 or 8 and knocking out your toughest tasks first can make you be ahead of the game. So it's not exactly the hour. It's that you are using the first part of the day for things that are important to you and that life has a way of crowding out. So for your mom that was studying, for you it was writing your books, mornings are just a great time for getting stuff done. Most people are fresher then. Most people have the most discipline and focus they will ever have at that time of day. And over the course of the day, that discipline and focus gets used up. And so if you wait until the end of the day to do what's important to you, you probably won't have any energy left over. It's the exact same thing with money. Again, you know, I'm sure you're always telling people, pay yourself first. Um, because if you wait until the end of the month to save what's left over, shockingly, there is nothing left over. But if you pay yourself first, <laughs> then, it, then there is, and you can make progress. And it's the same thing with time. If you pay yourself first, it gets done. Uh, you don't have to worry about it the rest of the day. That said, uh, it's not for everyone. There are some people who are confirmed night owls, probably fewer people than think they are night owls. Most people are just staying up late, doing nothing important to them, watching TV, surfing the web. You can try cutting that short going to bed, getting up a little bit earlier, turning unproductive evening hours into productive morning hours. But if you're up late writing the great American novel, I mean, more power to you. You're probably a night owl. That's a good time for you. The other thing I would say, because I hear sometimes from readers who have very young children who wake up at the crack of dawn, and it becomes this game of cat and mouse of trying to get up before their kids, mm -hmm. uh, which turns out to be almost impossible. <laughs> if the kids are young enough, they hear you and they can smell you or something. So they, they wake up too. In which case they say, you know, there are phases of life. And if you are waking up at 5.30 a.m. with your baby and you're not getting enough sleep as it is, wait to use the morning hours till your kids are a little bit older. At some point, they will start sleeping in. You will be waking them up for elementary school at 7.30. You can get up at 5.30 knowing you won't wake up except with your alarm, uh, having your sleep being a little bit more predictable. So there are phases of life. Waking up early is a great idea for many people to get stuff done. It's not perfect for everyone. What's your thought on the email interruption, whether it comes in the morning or whether it comes at, at some other time of day or, or other technology interruptions? I mean, I'm, I guess I'm showing my age by referring to email, but technology has a way of just stopping us 
in our tasks, no matter what we're doing. Exactly. And in many cases, we do it to ourselves. Um, we are the ones who put these sort of pointless alerts on our phone. I get sports alerts for some reason. I, I must have downloaded the March Madness app or something in, in <laughs> March. And, and I, I don't know how to stop it now. Like I hear every, uh, you know, quarterback that gets traded with the NFL season started. I'm like, I don't care. Like I really don't care. And, and yet these alerts come in my phone and it beeps and I look over and I lose my train of thought. Uh, we do this to ourselves. Email likewise will expand to fill all available time. And so the only way to spend less time on it is to give it less time. People always want to know little hacks and tips and tricks on how can I, I don't know, send shorter emails or whatever it is. It's like, no, you know, that's not the way to go about it. The way to go about it is to spend, to consciously choose to give it less time and to give it less of your best time. So we talked about mornings being great for getting stuff done. One of the best gifts you can give to yourself is to not check email or at least not respond to it until you've had at least that first hour for focused work on your most important priorities. You can always check it later. I mean, sometimes people even want to check their phone from the car in the parking lot at work, make sure that you know if your 10 a.m. meeting has been canceled, but then walk in, turn it off, do your power hour, start checking email after that. Before we wrap up here, you wrote a book called I Know How She Does It, and it breaks down the idea of having it all using actual data, which I love. You looked at the hour-by-hour time logs um, from the lives of working moms earning at least $100,000 a year. So what did you learn, and what can the rest of us take away from this? The good news from this time diary project I did for I Know How She Does It is that women with big jobs have far more balanced lives than most people think. The average work week for these women, which remember, they're all making six figures a year, big jobs here. The average work week was 44 hours a week. Now that's more than 40, but it's not a lot more than 40. And so one of the key takeaways for me is that there can be huge returns to working just a few extra hours on the margins. The difference between a 45-hour work week and let's say a 37-hour work week it's it's something, mm-hmm. but it's not going to be so life altering uh, that it will destroy the rest of your life. And and so sometimes women have this idea that if I have a big job, I'll have no time for everything else. Full time. Can't you see it's got the word full in it? <laughs> Clearly no time for anything else. And yet that's not the case. These women were working 44 hours a week. They had plenty of time for the rest of life, even with big jobs. So I would say the takeaway for me is you don't necessarily have to be scared of the big job. Um, often the big job won't require that many more hours. It may also give you a lot more autonomy and flexibility as you go up the scale. And the great thing is you'll also earn more money and more money can make life easier in all kinds of ways. Did you find that these women were able to do their 44 hours of work from wherever they wanted in many cases? Had they earned that right? In many cases, they had. Um, many of them were high enough, uh, enough up the ladder that they had some element of flexibility or were doing the kinds of jobs where they were professionals and people expected that they would get the work done where and when did not really matter as much. But often people were more into even people who are in jobs that I wouldn't have necessarily thought of as flexible we're often more about asking for forgiveness rather than permission. 
And so they would work the way they wanted to work and then figure, well, if somebody has a problem with it, they'll tell me and then we will deal with it then. But until that point, I will work in a way that works for me and see where it winds up. Love that. Absolutely love that. Okay, we're going to wrap it up here, Laura, but let's do it with three quick tips for our listeners to take away to make them more productive. Sure. Well, the first tip is always for me is to track your time. If you want to know how to spend your time better, figure out where it's going now and you can make good choices from that. The second question is to spend more time thinking about what you want to do more of. Because when we put in the important stuff first, uh, then the other less important stuff will naturally take less time. And then the third tip, what we were talking about earlier, if you can't find time for something that seems really important to you, try getting up a little bit earlier, go to bed a little bit earlier, get up a little bit earlier, do it first thing, and you find that you can start your day with a victory, get off to a great start. Terrific. Laura Vanderkam, thank you so much. Where can we find you? Well, I blog most days at lauravandercam.com, and I would love to have your listeners come join me there. We absolutely will, and I hope that you'll come back. This has been fun. Fun for me as well. Thanks so much. Sure. And we are going to take a turn now and take your questions. But before we do that, let me just leave everybody with one of my favorite time management tips, and it's a new one for me. I found this tool called unroll.me. That's where you find it on the web. And it actually has eliminated most of the clutter from my email box. My email takes me much, much, much less time than it used to. And I have plenty of time for Candy Crush because I'm not constantly cleaning out my email box. So I guess there's a a silver lining in it somehow. Anyway, Laura Vanderkam, thank you so much. Kelly will be in in just a sec. We'll take your questions. Kelly has joined me in the studio. She also was with me this morning at the NASDAQ. What would you think of that? It was so cool. It was by far one of my favorite experiences since working for you. Did you like seeing your picture up on the big tower? Loved it. It was really fun. Such it a was surreal fun. experience. I know. I was looking forward to it before we did it, but I, I didn't quite realize that it would be as much fun as it was, and they produce it like a television show. I mean, it is a television show, but Mm -hmm. then you see yourself pop up on all the different networks, and very cool. New York experience. And the new team we're working with is great as well. It was for the launch of The Balance for About.com. So that was really... Excellent. All right. We've got questions. We've got answers. What do you have? Yes, we do. Our first question is from Twitter. Katie Scarlett Brandt tweeted. Wait, 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 wait. Katie Scarlett Brandt. We've got her parents were definitely Gone with the Wind fans. <laughs> Maybe. I am sadly am not picking up on the reference, have, which I'm going have to Have you a, not seen Gone with the Wind? So long ago. It, I, it's one of the classics I need to rewatch. You, you need to rewatch it. So Scarlett O'Hara's father called her Katie Scarlett. So clearly, Katie Scarlett Brandt's parents... If that happens to be her real name, she could just be a Gone with the Wind fan. It's a beautiful name. Yes. Well, Katie tweeted us asking, as a freelancer paying quarterly taxes, it's tough to also put money away for IRA. What percentage should I aim for annually? Also, what percent of retirement funds do you recommend investing in stocks? So you want to aim for 10 to 15 percent annually, closer to 15 because you're a freelancer and you're not being matched by an employer. And so you don't have an employer bump to get you up to that 15 percent. If you're not 
there or it's tough to get to that level immediately, then I would just make it a point to try to nudge yourself up a couple of percentage points every single year. I, I get the whole quarterly tax thing. As a freelancer myself, I pay quarterly taxes. And I try to level my income by knowing approximately what I have coming in each month by averaging it. So I know over the course of a year how much money I will generally have come in. I divide by 12, and that makes it easier to deal with the fact that some months we don't get paid at all, and some months we get paid more than we need. And so it just enables me to think about it in the same way that a person who was being paid on a regular schedule would think about it. And I put the money away for taxes as the money comes in each time we get paid so that I don't have to worry about that. Um, if you can uh, do it automatically, that's always the easiest thing to do. Just every month have the money diverted out of your checking account and put it into your IRA. And the percentage that you need to have in stocks is both age-dependent and it depends also on your tolerance for risk. But in general, if you want to take 110 and subtract your age, that's about the percentage of your money that you want to have in stocks. And by the way, that's a little more aggressive than it used to be, and it's just because people are living longer. So good luck with that, Katie Scarlett. I wish I had an Irish accent and I could say it like Scarlett <laughs> O'Hara's father did. Thank you, Katie. Our next question is from Julie. She messaged us on Facebook, and she's wondering if you could recommend any apps for tracking her spending. Thank sure. you in advance. Absolutely, Julie. Um, two apps for tracking your spending, Mint and Level Money, both do a good job of that. And if you're having trouble saving in addition to tracking your spending, you may want to um, try Digit, which looks at your balances in your accounts and just saves money that it figures out through its crafty algorithm that you don't need. Um, Hayden on our team has been using Digit. She's saving hundreds of dollars this way. She says she doesn't miss the money, so that's a good enough recommendation for me. Great. Thank you. Oh, sure. And uh, keep the questions coming. You can find us on Twitter at Jean Chatsky, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on Instagram. Where else? And at JeanChatsky.com. At JeanChatsky.com. Thanks, Kelly. Thanks, Jean. You know, I love getting all of your questions. It is one of my favorite parts of the show, but I also try to make it a point to bring you important news you can use, and that's what we're doing with this week's Thrive segment. So here's a question. Do you know how much credit card debt you have? Not a rough estimate, not an educated guess. I am talking about the exact number. If you don't, you should, but new data from creditcards.com shows that a lot of you probably don't. Some 30% of millennial women are in the dark on the amount of credit card debt they're carrying. Even more don't have a firm grasp on the amount of student loan debt they're carrying. If that sounds like you, it is time to pull your head out of the sand, and here are three things that I want you to do. First, try not to let fear of these big amounts paralyze you. Sit back, look in the mirror, and just pull out a pencil and a piece of paper and write down the amounts. What do you owe? 
Whom do you owe it to? And what's the interest rate on that debt? And by doing that, you'll give yourself an order in which to pay back the debt because you want to work from highest interest rate on down. That's the cheapest, fastest way out of debt. Second, realize the future is now. Many people put off financial decisions by thinking that they don't have to worry about it until some point in the future. And that could be when you get married, when you have kids, when you buy a home. It's kind of the same logic that prevented people from buying nice dishes until they got married. It doesn't make any sense. You have to eat every day. And by the same token, you don't want to put off dealing with this debt because Credit card debt is a savings killer. And once you eliminate your credit card debt, then you can start saving the amount that you've been paying those credit card companies every single month for the future and for that future goal. And number three, make the solution as mindless as possible. Although your credit card bills vary month to month, you can start setting an amount that you know that you want to repay and put that on automatic pilot if you know that that'll be above your minimum balance. And you certainly should automate your student loan payments. You'll get an interest rate deduction generally of about one quarter of one percent simply for doing that. By all means, automate your savings as well. Okay. Briefly, we're going to recap. If you are in the dark on how much you owe, then it is time to get the fear out of your way, to motivate yourself by realizing that you don't have to wait for any point in the future to take care of this and to automate it so it just happens every month and brings you some peace of mind. A big thank you to all of you for joining us today on Her Money. Thanks to Laura Vanderkam for making us more productive. I will not be getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning, but I may be getting up at 5. Thank you as well to Fidelity, our sponsor, and to the folks at PRX who distribute our show. Our music is brought to you by Track Tribe, and please keep those questions coming. That's an important part of what we do here. We'd like to make sure that we give you all the information that you're looking for. Tune in again next time. We've got a great guest, Angie Hicks from Angie's List, will be with me in the studio talking about how to get all the work that we need to get done in our homes done in a quality way. And by that, I mean without getting ripped off. I hope you all have a good week. We'll talk soon.